I put a lot of hours learning these things, you know, let me put it into application. So that's what I mean by betting on yourself, being proud of what you do without having, you know, this big ego, being arrogant, still staying humble, being true to yourself, but maybe making sure that, yes, you know, I can do this. I tell women now, I see so many people get promoted in roles that they don't have what it takes. They don't have the talent, right? They don't have the skill sets and yet they go for it. They're not afraid of it. And we are as females, it's like, at least my generation is afraid. And I'm like, don't be afraid. What's the worst that can happen? You're listening to Flipping the Barrel podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your host, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Ilda Andaluz, who is the Executive Vice President of Global Human Resources at Veril Energy Solutions, a company that has supported Flipping the Barrel, Jamie and I, from the very beginning of this movement and truly has some of the most amazing leaders running it. And so Ilda joined Veril on April 1st of 2019, and she is a senior human resource professional with over 20 years of experience. Ilda has a BA in psychology from McGill University in Canada and an MBA from the University of Phoenix, and most recently graduated from Tulane University Law School, where she obtained her master's jurisprudence in employment and labor law. Her team describes her as an inspirational leader, she always finds time to mentor others and has a passion to develop people to their full potential. Wow, Elda, what an incredible bio that you have. You've gone to so many schools, so educated. You have an abundance of just knowledge in the human resource space, and we can't wait to dig into your story. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed watching your podcast grow, and I listen to it all the time. So thank you very much. No, and I wanted to add, I think Masa, this is the first time we've had somebody from McGill, the same university that you went to. Yes, I think that's like super cool. And we're really looking forward to sharing your story with our audience. You know, we really want you to take us back to where you were born and raised, which was the melting pot of Montreal, Canada. Mm -hmm. um, your parents immigrated there in their early 20s. Your father came in the middle of a cold winter night, which if you haven't been to Canada during the winter times, it's absolutely freezing. So I could only imagine what that was like at the age of 22. You grew up seeing your parents hustle multiple jobs to make ends meet. And they struggled with the language. They didn't, right when they moved to Canada, you know, they didn't speak mm -hmm. the language. So they also had to overcome that challenge. And, you know, when Masiel gave your introduction, we talked about how educated you were and you came from a very start of your parents did not have the education. So mm -hmm. tell us about your upbringing, how that impacted you. Sure. Thank you. Well, you know, as most people who've lived in Montreal, who are born and raised by immigrants' families, it's normal to live in environments that are very multicultural, where there's different languages around you. You speak your mother tongue at home, and mine was Spanish, and you are sent to school in French because that's the law to preserve the French culture in that part of Canada. So I had to go to a school in French. And my neighborhood was English because there were kids from all over the world. And I grew up, you know, speaking English on the streets with other kids. And my parents sent me to English school on weekends because they wanted me to make sure I have an education on speaking English properly. 
my parents, you know, unfortunately, you know, came from very humble beginnings, but they've always had, you know, a big heart and always opened their house to everybody and was always willing to help everybody, regardless, you know, if we didn't have food on our table, we would give food to other people or a shelter to other people. So I grew up in an environment where of always helping others doesn't matter. And even if there was a language barrier, there's that language of kindness was always there. A helping hand is international, right? So I grew up in that type of environment, but also seeing my parents working hard, struggling hard. I think that gave me my work ethic of seeing how you always have to just work hard at things and never give up. I never saw my parents cry or be upset or complain for anything. That gave me that strength to do the same thing, to never look back and be like, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Never. It was always being grateful for what we did have. And that really at the core shaped me of who I am today because I still live through those things. I still remind myself of those things to every day be grateful what I do have. And yeah, and they're great. I mean, I think their strength is amazing of how, I don't know what it would be like to go to a country of not speaking a language to be able to communicate with other people because I speak four languages. My parents didn't even speak English or French. I'm amazed. And I look at my father now, he speaks eight languages now. It's amazing to me. Right. I was just like, wow, like how did he do and all by just listening and talking to people. He never went to school for it. Right. So it was great. I really enjoyed my upbringing. You know, for me, I never missed out on anything, even though if people would look at it, they would be like, but you were poor. And I'm like, I didn't feel poor. I never saw that. I just saw, you know, the kindness around me, the positive attitude of my parents around me. That's what always stick with me. And I bring that with me every time, everywhere. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. Wow, Elda. It's so hard, you know, just hearing you. And I think so many immigrants listening to you, you know, it brings literally tears to my eyes because I just relate so much to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so growing up with so many challenges in life, you know, how did you have non-victim mentality, you know, in life, especially Mm -hmm. something that your dad always instilled in you, Mm -hmm. you know, how it's easy to say, well, you know, my life was difficult and I didn't have access to this and I didn't, you know, but you didn't do that. And it's really brought you to where you are today. So where did that come from? I think again, it came from my parents. I mean, we were in bad situations. You know, my parents came to this country. No one taught them, you know, how credit worked, you know, how spending worked or anything like that. And we ended up in, you know, bad financial situations growing up. But my parents never complained about it and always decided to always be positive. And I think that's how I learned that it's a choice to be happy every day. It's a choice to be positive every day. And once you make that choice and you do it every day, it becomes a habit. And then once it becomes a habit, it just becomes your way of being. And that's how I've become, you know, and my father would always 
say positive things to us every day, waking up every day, like, then it's gonna be a fantastic day, you know, take on the challenge. And he would always do that. And I just grew up with that. Yeah, it's gonna be a great day. It doesn't matter. It's raining. It's okay. We have an umbrella, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and like all the little things like that. And I'm still like that today. And I'm like that with my family as well, too. And not only with my family, with people who I work with, I'm like, okay, what's the silver lining here? Okay, this is a problem. What's the solution? And I never stay in a place of complaining or that victim mentality that you said, because there's no time for that. It's not going to solve the problem. And that I learned from my both my parents. It's just not going to solve it. So what can we do But what we have? And I see business the same way. Like if there's a challenge at work or there's a challenge in my family, I'm like, okay, what's the solution? What can we do? Let's not stay too negative in here. Let's move forward. And I've always kept that mentality. and It has helped me throughout my life and other challenges that I've had in my life. And I try to help other people to think that way as well, too, when possible. Mm-hmm. It is a choice. It's a choice that you have to make every day. Yeah, it truly is about the choices that you make. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because at the end of the day, you know, you could have chose to think differently and not have that mentality that you have today. And it really has brought you very far. You know, to go back to your upbringing, you know, you didn't really know what you wanted to become when you grew up. You know, there's a lot of challenges just, you know, being, you know, an immigrant family and all the things that you dealt with on a daily basis. So when you first started out in school, you started studying law, but you ended up not really liking it. And so you switched over to psychology because it felt like something that you wanted to do, which kind of goes with what you were saying about your father and your mindset. And that really Mm -hmm. is all about psychology. So at the end of the day, that kind of seemed like something that maybe you could relate more to. You had a mortgage to pay. You had bought a home for your parents at this point too. So you needed a job. And so you were really pressured to, I need to figure out what I want to do. A company that was recruiting on campus approached you and you ended up going over there. You accepted the role, your recruiter, and then eventually became an HR manager. And someone there saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And this was a really big turning point for you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because this is the first time that someone outside of my family had noticed me and, you know, was offering me to come work for them, to be a manager in HR, where I had no idea what that meant. I had never heard of that role before. I turned for psychology. What what is this HR thing? (laughs) And you know, they made me the offer. And I remember him saying, he's like, you've got the potential. I see you doing already this job. And he goes, I just love your work attitude and your ethic as well, too. And they made me an offer much bigger than I expected. I actually turned it down and said, no, like, I can't take this job. I don't know what I would do. And he told me, no, take the job and I will help you to go to back to school and get a certificate in HR so you can learn this as well, too. Just the fact that that person believes in me and saw something mean that I didn't see in myself wanted me to even work harder and say, yes, I can do this. Absolutely. I won't. I will do everything possible to make this successful and make that person proud as well, too. And that's what I did. Like I would work in the day and go to school at night and whatever I was learning at night about HR, I was implementing in the daytime. <laughs> I've made a lot of errors. <laughs> I hired my sister as a receptionist. My best friend is a payroll person. <laughs> I was learning on the go. And that opened more doors for me because I was just open to learning. Right. And again, like this person just saw something in me. I'm like, okay, let me show that I could do this. And that was a wonderful experience. I'm so grateful for him and for believing in me. And I don't think he realized what he did. 
That's incredible. There's some people like that in life where they have no idea how impactful they were and they completely change your trajectory because now you're an HR VP, like, (laughs) you know, and not even knowing anything. If you wouldn't have ever brought up HR to you back then, you would have maybe stayed in psychology or done a completely different career. So talking about impactful people, after this job that you had initially, you went over to Bell Canada, which is the Mm AT&T for those of you who don't know in Canada. (laughs) During that time, you met two people who also impacted your career in different ways. Two individuals Mm -hmm. who mentored you and poured into your success, who truly saw something in you, just like that gentleman. Can you tell us a little bit about how they helped you in your career? Maybe also how crucial mentors are for those who are currently in their careers? Yeah, especially so that first person that we were talking about actually pushed me to go look outside, you know, and go for something bigger, which, you know, I'm just like, why are you asking me to leave the company? (laughs) So I went to this interview, he introduced me to other people and I was networking. And then I went to this interview with Bell Canada. And the person that interviewed me, this female leader, you know, who first time I had met someone with such poise, you know, so confident in the interview, and she became my leader. And I learned so much from her. And to this day, we're still friends. She taught me how to use my voice. I'm not a loudspeaker. I'm not a yeller. You know, I'm not a person that with the voice carries out a lot. I'm very soft spoken. And so was she. And she taught me that you want people to lean in. You want people to listen. You want people that when you have something to say, they will hear you out. Use that as your power. You don't have to be like men in the boardroom or, you know, shouting or screaming or being aggressive. You can use that power differently. And I never saw it as a power. It's the first time that I had heard that. So she guided me through that. And then equally, I had a male leader in that same organization who he taught me all about business. He taught me all about like, great, you're in HR, I'm your HR leader, but HR really don't think about it HR as, you know, it's about people think more HR is a business unit, just like everything else. We're here to make money as well to think about it from a business perspective. So he really pushed me to think from a business mindset, but no one had ever thought me that. I mean, I came from psychology. I never picked up a business book. So he said to me, you're going to read this book. And then every month I had one book a month to read (laughs) all about business on different things. And then he would challenge me. He's like, okay, let's walk and talk. We would have walking meetings. And he's like, let's walk and talk. What did you learn about this book? And he would quiz me on what did you think about this? How can you use that in the workplace? You know, what did you learn about what not to do in the workplace based on what you read and so forth? And so he would ask me all these thought provoking questions that I never knew of and never thought about. Mm-hmm. And then what I started doing from there is and I started doing the same thing with people that I would meet. Did you read this book? Did you heard about this? You know, and I would start using those things and learning. So those two combinations really kicked off my career. And I said that really opened my mind of, okay, HR is more than just people. It's a business unit. How do I support the business with that? And yet grow HR to be different, to think differently. That was an amazing experience. And those people are still in my lives today. I love them dearly. We've been to each other's weddings, birthday parties, and it's been a great relationship. And they continue being my mentors and dear friends. I love that. And, you know, to talk about what it means as an HR representative in situations where people have to travel international and dealing with the international aspect of people's roles, 
you had your first international job as well. It was in Mexicali, if I'm saying that correctly, yes, uh, for, for a manufacturing company as an HR manager. And you had some experience there about fitting in and, you know, was it difficult for you? And how have you used that experience today as an HR leader and helping, you know, your employees when they have to move international? I've been fortunate to have you know, leaders that supported me. So this male leader at Bell pushed me to seek out international experience. He's like, you speak all these languages, you're smart. He goes, you know, you, you've got grit, you know, so like, you need more international experience. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, where do I go? And then this role came out. And just to give a little bit of perspective, Mexicali at the time, you couldn't find it in Google. <laughs> I didn't know where it was really. It's in the it's in the peninsula of Mexico under California. And I showed up there, landed in San Diego and asked for directions on how to get there. And the person was like, why would you want to go there? Like, why would you want to work there? So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But here I was, you know, willing to do it. And I went. And to my surprise, it was hard to integrate because, yes, I'm Hispanic. I speak Spanish. I was born, in, you know, with a family that is Hispanic but I've never worked in a Hispanic environment. And I know I looked Mexican, I'm not Mexican. <laughs> but they quickly told me, like, you're not one of us, you know, what are you? And I'm like, I'm Canadian. They're like, you're Canadian, but you speak Spanish. It was confusing. And it was, they didn't accept me right at the beginning. You know, I had to build my relationships with them and tell them like, I'm just like you. I'm just here to, you know, to help you and learn and grow. And what that taught me is that people are people. Everybody just wants to feel appreciated, wants to feel heard, want help, and want to do good at work. And it was the most humbling experience that I have had up till then in my career, seeing how poor people really were and how happy they were. Then they didn't complain about anything. And it reminded me back to my parents, to their beginnings, you know, on how they were living. And that experience taught me to be creative and think of different solutions to help people around me. I'll give you an example. This plant run 24-7, and for some reason at the time, I didn't understand that our female employees would go missing, wouldn't show up to work, wouldn't appear. And, you know, I started talking to the other manufacturers around me and saying, like, what's going on? Are you having the same issues? And they would look at me like, oh, you don't understand. Like, this is normal in this environment. I'm like, what do you mean normal? He's like, well, we live in an environment where a lot of women get kidnapped, unfortunately, get, you know, killed or something happens like that. I was shocked. Like, that's not a world that I know of. You know, I'm just so surprised. I was like, we have to do something. These are our employees. We can't just keep our arms crossed. What do we do? So I called my, my boss who was back, you know, in Canada and said, I need money. I need to do a transportation system where we can make sure that we can get our employees safely to and from our plant. And so I rallied with the other manufacturers. And that's what we did together. We all put in some money to get these buses to pick up our female employees to get them safely. And that was one of the biggest accomplishments that uh, till this day, I'm very proud of because I couldn't understand that nobody had ever thought or think about doing something for these employees. So it was just a very humbling experience. Loved it. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. 
Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. Wow, Ilda. Yeah, there's so many points here to relate to. I think anybody listening to this podcast who has had similar experiences will think about those moments where it's not just with Latinos. It could be, you know, a Chinese American or et cetera. And you look like them, you're in their country, but you've never worked there. You've never necessarily interacted in that kind of business setting. And they're like, but you look like us, but you don't speak like us. Who are you? You know? And so I'm sure a lot of people are laughing right now at the (laughs) podcast listening in. So let's kick into how you got into oil and gas. So after working in telecommunications, manufacturing, retail industry, you kept kind of changing industries. At this point, you had moved from Montreal, Mexicali, and now you're in Calgary, which is the capital of the oil field in Canada. It's very similar to Texas for those who don't know about, you know, Alberta. (laughs) You realize, you know, I've never worked in the oil and gas industry and everybody here has a job in the oil and gas industry. So maybe I should go there. And so you applied, you got out of your comfort zone. This is a new industry for you. And you got the mm-hmm. job as the HR manager for a company there. And eventually you got promoted in 2016 to move to Houston for another HR role. And they basically told you, you know, put your head down, work really hard for the next few years. You're going to get that next VP role. And that's what you did. And that's what a lot of us do is we have a target. We know that we're the right person for the role. We work really, really hard for multiple years. And then when the time comes, you know, you don't necessarily get the role because maybe somebody else or somebody's friends got the role, et cetera. Right. And this usually happens, it's more common for women who they put everything in one basket and work really hard and they end up not getting the role. Can you tell us a little bit about that time and you know what advice do you have for women who are currently in that situation? And maybe what would you have done different? Yeah. You know, first I was heartbroken because I was on this path. You know, I was told that I was a high potential. I was told that, you know, I'm, you know, they're preparing me for my next role. So great. Like you just said, I put my head down and I put in the hours, put in the time, did everything I needed to do, take all the courses and everything, you know, that I thought I needed to do. And then when the time came and I didn't get it, I just felt, what's the word? I think I just was in shock. I didn't understand. Then I said, okay. I went back to my upbringing. Okay, what are you grateful for? What can this teach you? What can this, what can you learn from this? And so I asked questions. I asked, okay, what can I do differently? Give me a reason of why I'm not getting this role. What can I do? What can I do better? And for me, what was disappointing is I didn't get any feedback. I didn't, all I was told was just like, we just don't think you're ready. But I'm like, okay, but what is it specifically? And they couldn't give me true feedback that I can take on and be like, okay, because I'm okay with feedback. I get lots of feedback by people and I've always been okay with that. But when I don't get it, well, then I can't fix it. What am I going to improve on? So I went back to people that truly know me and I asked them, you know, what do you see? Do you think I've got what it takes? You know, help me understand, you know, what am I missing here? And then one person said to me, what are you going to do differently once you get there? So if you get the role, what are you going to do differently? Why is that so important to you? So it made me go back and look at, okay, why do I really want this? Is it just the title? Is it the money? Is it power? Like, what really is it that I want? Or do I have something to prove to myself? 
So I went back and do a lot of reflection and figure out what I wanted to do. I actually took a step back and said, you know what, maybe I don't want this. Maybe I need to do something differently. Maybe I have to rethink of changing my career a bit. So I decided to take a coach for myself and start just figuring out like, what is my next step? What do I need to do? But I knew I needed to maybe leave that organization that maybe it was not the right thing for me to do. And I did a lot more soul searching. I started doing inventory. What am I good at? What are my top strengths? You know, and then what are things that I'm weak at that I'm probably always going to be weak at, but am I truly aware of those things? <laughs> you know, so again, I asked my team, I asked my friends, I asked my mentors, and I started looking into that more and just took a different approach at looking at it differently. And then I made a choice. I'm like, you know what, it's time for me to go. I need to make a decision to just go. And I do have what it takes. I know I can do this. What am I afraid of? And I took the leap. Can we dive a little bit more into that? Because you did take the leap and this taking this leap and betting on you gave you this remarkable opportunity to work for Veril. And that was when you just got interviewed and you got the role, a new industry. Can you tell us about what it really meant to you to really take those steps forward and taking that risk on yourself during a time when you never had really the, you've never really done that before? It, that can be very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, when I said earlier that I did a lot of self-reflection, I had a coach for myself, like I started really digging into what is my fear? What am I really afraid of, you know, or how can I take the sleep without being afraid? Because my fear, I realized my fear was like, I was, I had just come to the US, it was my first company in the US, and I was afraid to jump into somewhere else. What if I'm not good enough? What if they don't know me? What if they fire me and I have to go back to Canada as a failure? Like I had all these fears in my head, and I realized exactly that it was all in my head. Mm-hmm. It was just me. I was my own blocker, right? So I went back to, okay, what's the worst that can happen, right? Okay, so they let you go. You find another job, you know, like that's what I grew up learning. It's like, there's no problem too small. You just find another solution. And I took the leap and applied for this role at Veril. And I remember having a conversation with the CEO at the time and telling them all of these ideas that I have, you know, of what I would do, you know, if, if they would hire me. And he heard me and he's like, this is great. Like, I really, I really like your attitude. And I'm like, this is what my strength is. Like, you know, I'm good at bringing people together. I'm good at building teams together. What am I afraid of? And they gave me the opportunity and I did it. And I just believed in myself. And that's what I mean by, you know, yes, you have to bet on yourself, truly believe on yourself and remove those fears. And a lot of the time, it's just that negative voice in your head, you know, and we have to learn to switch that off. I started doing, you know, positive conversations with myself my own worst enemy is myself. I criticize myself the most. And I realize, okay, I need to give myself some grace. I am good at some things. And it's okay to say that I was raised in a way that, you know, you shouldn't boast too much. You shouldn't, you know, put yourself out too much because, you know, you know, you got to be nice. You got to say, but don't, don't go out there and tell people what you're so good at. But I learned on my own that it's okay. Men do it all the time. Why shouldn't I do it? <laughs> right? You know, yes, you know, I have all these schoolings. I should be proud of that. I put a lot of hours learning these things, you know, let me put it into application. So that's what I mean by betting on yourself, being proud of what you do without having, you know, the speaking or being arrogant, still staying humble, being true to yourself, but maybe making sure that yes, you know, I can do this. I tell women now, I see so many people get promoted in roles that they don't have what it takes. They don't have the talent, right? They don't have the skill sets, and yet they go for it. They're not afraid of it. And we are, 
as females. It's like, at least my generation is afraid. And I'm like, don't be afraid. What's the worst that can happen? Right? They say no to you. Okay. Well, you continue. You you move on. That's why I love the new generation that's coming along because they're not afraid. They charge in, you know, they look at things differently than we did and they have all these different opportunities. And I love that. I'm like, man, if I would have been born today, it would have been a whole different story. (laughs) I love it. You've just brought so much wealth of knowledge. I feel like this is a therapy (laughs) type of podcast because you truly are speaking to just so many women on, you know, things that happen to a lot of us in our careers and just your advice is truly incredible. We wanted to talk about the importance of policies and especially you being in an HR role where you can make decisions on how a company will change things. Mm -hmm. And this was particularly on integrating families, right? Mm -hmm. And even looking across the industry, not a lot of companies necessarily have this, right? They're focusing a lot on the maternity and now they're coming out with the paternity, but how about integrating families and what had happened? And maybe you can speak on your behalf a little bit about the situation, but you know, here you were going through your own family dilemmas in the sense that you were having a family being integrated, you know, with what was going on at home, but you weren't necessarily comfortable with bringing it on at work. And this happens to a lot of us because we work with just men and they might just not understand you're the mom, you're the one that's dealing with the integration. And you felt, you know, it was heavy on your heart in the sense that like, how am I not doing something about it when I'm in a position in HR? Maybe there's somebody else, another employee in my own company that's dealing through this. But at the end of the day, a lot of us don't speak about these things. And so can you bring us back through that and tell us a little bit of how you were able to affect change in Vero? Yeah. You know, so at the time that I started the job at Vero, I was going through a change in my life where my husband and I were adopting our second child. And I did not feel comfortable at the time to bring it up to my employer because I didn't know if they would accept it, if I can take any time off for it. There wasn't any policy about it. I was just starting in this organization. I'm like, do I just change the policy to accommodate me? (laughs) You know, or what do I do? And I didn't. And it was tough because when you have a new child in your life, regardless of how it is, it's always tough. You know, and I'm the main breadwinner in my family, you know, and I was afraid to talk about it and take some time off. And that's why I decided that I wanted to change that. So we've started a new policy in the workplace where anybody who has, you know, a new child in their life, regardless of how it is, if it's through adoption, through foster care, through anywhere, and then for anybody, not just for females, but for males as well, too, for same-sex relationships. I don't really care how you're having a child in your family. You will get time off for that, paid time off. We will give you six weeks. And we're integrating that in different countries as well, too, within the legislation that I can do that, too. Because I think it's important, you know, companies say they care about the employees. Well, you really have to show it, right? And when you show it, it's with their families. You spend so much time in the workplace, you know, that you need to make sure that they can able to spend some time with their families. And bringing a new child in your family is the hardest thing. I don't care at what age you bring a child in, Mm -hmm. in your life. It is tough. Both my kids were adopted, you know, when they were 12, each one of them. And teenage years are difficult. (laughs) And bringing them on board as a new child into your life is even more difficult. And that's why I chose to do that. You know, I didn't have to convince leadership about it. You know, I just went about and just doing it, saying this is what we need to do to be a different organization. This is what we need to do to really put, you know, 
our values out there. We say we're this type of company. Well, this needs to demonstrate that we are actually doing it. And thankfully, you know, with my CEO here, with Derek Nixon, he had no issues around. He's like, yes, let's do it. And it's been greatly accepted here. People are happy with it and they're surprised. They're like, wow, this is something great. I wish this happened to me when I had my first child or something <laughs> like that, right? And so there's some employees right now going through similar situations that I am. And, you know, I'm able to tell them like, you know, I'm glad you're taking the time to adjust to this new life because it is a new life. It's very different having a kid in your life, again, no matter what age or no matter how you get, you have one. I think anybody listening right now that has got a child from some, anyway, from, you know, from have birth, from yes. adopting, from just bringing in your own family members into your yeah. home, understanding can relate to the fact that it changes the dynamic mm-hmm. and we all need that time in order to adjust. Mm-hmm. So it brings like great happiness for Moss and I to hear that y'all took that initiative. Yeah. I joked with my husband, like, maybe we should have another child now that I have this. <laughs> I love it. You know, this has been such an incredible podcast, Ilda. But to end, we wanted to really ask you some stuff around increasing the diversity at Veril, because we know how important this is for you. Mm -hmm. And you've done an incredible job since you've been there doing that. Can you tell us, you know, what it means to you and also kind of what you're working on a global scale to bring that diversity to the forefront? Sure. So for me, diversity is just bringing different people together. It doesn't matter if you know what language, what race, what nationality, any of that. For me, it's just bringing people together and understanding and speaking about issues that are important to us. You know, there are things that people are afraid to bring at the tables or afraid to talk about because they're afraid that they're going to offend someone. It's just, just ask me. It's okay. You know, like the fact that you're asking, it's a good thing. So one of the things that we did at Vero is we started having listening tours and asking people, what does diversity mean to you? You know, what do you want to see more out there from our company to help you out? So we just started having conversations and like, what does it mean for you and for Vero? This year, we did our second listening tour, which I was happy to do and proud because this year we integrated India. India, we purchased them last year. So this was the first year that they participated in. And it was great because they were really open about what it meant to them. And it means different things to different countries. So for us, what we're trying to do at Viral is then, okay, what does it mean to those countries? And let's customize it for what it means to them. And some countries, for instance, like in Mexico and India, they want more diversity in gender. Right. Great. You know, in the U.S., they want more diversity in thought, in thinking process. Okay, great. You know, so it means different things in different areas. And so we're adapting to that. Right. So in Mexico, I think when I first started, there was maybe around six or eight women. And now we're up to 50. We've got women engineers, women machinists, you know, women inspectors, you know, on the plant floor, which is great. In India, just the fact that the women have a voice now and they're meeting together that's new for them. They've never done that. And we're growing. In Saudi, I hired our first female HR manager, you know, who was not very traditional. And that's, you know, that's causing, you know, some ruffling of feathers, but that's okay. That's what I wanted there. And she's hiring, you know, more women there too. That's what it means to us. And I think that what companies need to be careful about is that they don't think of that as a trend. Okay, this is the trend now. Everybody's talking about it. What makes sense for your organization? What makes sense for your employees? Hear your employees out and what it makes sense to them. Because it's not my agenda. It's what are our employees saying? And that's what we're doing. And that's what I'm proud of that we're doing. And we're continuing. I mean, there's just lots of work to do on it. And we're going to continue to do more on it. Elda, 
the way that you just talked about that in general and just the different diversity perspectives in different countries really just shows the kind of person that you are and your global perspective on the situation and how it's not something here today. It's here to stay and that we need to incorporate it into our daily lives, into the companies that we work for. And you're doing that. This has been such an incredible and eye-opening episode for myself. I think we've all teared up somewhere in this episode, listening to you talk. And we just know from your upbringing to where you are today, it's just extremely inspiring. And just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for giving me this time and giving me a platform to share my story. So thank you, ladies. And you're doing both an amazing job. I am so, you know, in love with both of you and everything that you're doing. And please don't stop. Keep doing what you're doing. You're reaching so many women out there. You have no idea the impact that you're creating. So thank you. Thank Thank you you so much, Ilda. And for those listening, you know that we're going to start giving y'all some more details for, you know, our subscribers and Ilda, as you can tell, she's an amazing pioneer and just an incredible woman. And she will be at our upcoming event in October. So stay tuned for more news on that. And she will be speaking. So could you even imagine what she's going to be saying on stage? (laughs) So thank you. Please like, subscribe, and thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks, Ilda. Thank you.